In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here or watching online, you might recall that the feeding of the 5,000 miracle was a teachable moment for the disciples. And it seems, at least as the way Matthew has given it to us, it's to teach us disciples to turn to becoming apostles, people who have received the gospel and then pass it on to others who are hungry for that good news. Well, the next lesson in Jesus' curriculum for the 12 and for us is today's excerpt from the gospel that we would call Peter's walking on the water. Now, have you ever been in Peter's predicament? Now, I, I don't mean sinking down, sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, as that one hymn has it. And certainly, I doubt any of us have taken a few steps on the water um, ourselves. But, you know, when you've taken a risk of any sort, you've gone out on a limb, you've exercised your faith in one way or another, beyond your comfort zone, whether at home or on air, land, or sea, as we just sang those times. Peter was very much aware of what was happening to him, and pastors soon learn when that can happen to them. It's right after the phone rings. Now, most of the time, you know, it's just a question of what time of the service is, who's going on that youth trip, has anybody volunteered to clean up after the potluck, and so on. But then there's the person who needs to talk, who asks if the pastor can come over right away, or a person who's angry because of what another member said out in the parking lot after the last meeting. The phone rings, you pick it up, you listen to words and emotions, and you pray for the right response. But in daily living, there's no phone ringing, you know? You don't hear it go off rather suddenly and without warning. For example, the conversation turns from the weather to whether or not God is agreeing with a certain political position. Or the last person who's leaving after a party turns and asks, you got a moment? Or your neighbor wonders if you heard the sirens last night. Or maybe your friend reacts to a little joke that you said, and you suddenly realize that there's been something just below the surface for that person brewing. Maybe I should wait while you all think of times like that that happen in your own lives. At times like that, you don't have time to pray, although help is a pretty good, it's called a javelin prayer. You've got to react at the moment and do the best you can. But you know what happens when that's over. You say to yourself, ah, why didn't I say thus or so? Uh, why didn't I share my own personal experience? And, and oh, there's that Bible passage that really would have worked, and on and on. But it's too late. You saw the spiritual wind whipping up the waves. You began to sink. Maybe you echoed Peter's, Lord, save me, but often not. 
Those are the times, my friends, when today's epistle can hit you like a ton of bricks, like God's law hitting you in the face. You see, we're supposed to have faith ready to use at all times. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, Paul writes. Here in church or, or, or watching at home, um, you know that we're supposed to have it all in mind. We know Jesus came, he died and rose for us to pay for all of our sins. He conquered death. He's opened heaven to us. We don't have to worry about our salvation. We're so blessed to be included in the promise because of the faith that saves us. And yet, because it is so easy, so much a part of our being, too often we are caught unawares when something like that happens and we're not in our comfort zone. We want to end the conversation somehow. And then comes that second part of the epistle, which asks all those rhetorical questions about how in the world are we going to be able to get through to that other person with whatever they really need to hear? Because you really don't know if the person talking to you has faith or not. And Paul quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yeah, right. And then we look down at our own muddy shoes in embarrassment and shame. What are you going to do? Complain to God that it wasn't fair that he let that moment happen? Well, that's not going to work. Just look at the Old Testament reading from Job chapter 38. Remember, God has let him be tested. He's taken away his family and his health and his wealth. And finally, way back in chapter 31, Job complains that although he's done his level best to be faithful. Nevertheless, God has let all these calamities happen to him. It's not fair. Well, from then on, for six chapters, he gets berated by a guy named Elihu. And after that, God speaks directly to Job. I think he yells it at him. Where were you when I... and so on. You know, you can't complain that way to the almighty creator of all that exists without some pushback. And that retort is full of law. But let's hear some good news in that as well and see if we can apply it to those terrible situations. Where were we? Nowhere except in the mind of the creator. Paul writes in Romans 4, verse 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Would you have created yourself knowing all your faults and failures? Now, I make model trains and ships, but I carefully hide the mistakes where nobody else is going to see them. But God didn't do that. My friends, he made us willingly anyway, so that when God walked this earth, 
in the person of Jesus. All the wrath that could and should have been poured out on us, as perhaps Job feared he was going to get poured out on him, was taken by our Lord to that cross. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just reciting Psalm 22, where we would find those words in the Bible. He was asking the question that we know the answer to. He was forsaken so that we need not ever be separated from God's good love. It's a lot of good news when we're having one of those teachable moments, when we're outside our comfort zone, when we find ourselves in Peter's predicament. How might we be aware of all that in those difficult moments? A few years ago, there was a movement that tried to recognize that Jesus was probably at times smiling. He wasn't what we usually see in most of the drawings, showing him stern, determined, compassionate, but not always enjoying himself or having fun with other people. When Jesus walks on water, I really believe it was one of those times that I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus had a smile on his face. This is just one of many pictures of Jesus smiling. Now, maybe most people reading the Bible account don't see the humor in the incident. I mean, it is certainly possible that Jesus, knowing what would happen before transpired, simply said, you know, what the words were. He read his line at the end of today's gospel. Why did you doubt? I don't think he did that. Think about it. He has sent the 12 out on the water before him just before the storm started. He walks out on the water, scaring the wits out of him. That must have been fun. And it's no surprise then that when Peter calls out to him, he says, oh, sure, come on out on the water. It's no surprise to him or to us that he has his hand ready to grab Peter when the wind kicks up the waves. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, takes hold of him, saying, Now oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Imagine Peter, why? What? I mean, didn't you see the water? Oh, you're on top of it. And, and, and why haven't you called out the 11 who are still back there in the boat about their lack of faith? They're secure. Now, mind you, none of those words or even the thoughts about them are there in the Bible. In fact, the entire incident is omitted in Mark's gospel. And that might be because, by tradition, he wrote using the memoirs of Peter. And maybe Peter was a little embarrassed to have his sinking into the sea really be recorded. Now, I bet we could go around the room and find stories that would parallel Peter's walking and then sinking into the sea. Oh, well, so let's begin. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, because actually, for most of us, we'd like to be with those other disciples, and maybe that's what we've done. We stay in the relative safety of the boat. You might remember that where you're seated is called the nave, as in navy. We're in that boat together. 
The disciples had been with Jesus earlier in the day. They had seen him heal many people, but walking on the water, nobody had ever done that. Nobody. Even Jesus identifying himself might not have worked because, after all, if he was a ghost, wouldn't the ghost say, hey, I'm Jesus? And then, when Jesus and Peter get into the boat, then finally they confess their short creed, truly you are the Son of God. Oh yeah, you're the man, Jesus. We should have figured that out. I think that might have put a frown on Jesus' face because it took all that for them to get to that point. See, it was another teachable moment, not just for Peter, but for the 12, just like the feeding of the 5,000. They had to see more than that Jesus could control the weather. They had to be assured that if they'd call out to him, he'd be there to answer as best that he would. And that's true for each of us today as well. When you, you suddenly find yourself way out beyond your comfort zone, out on a limb, whatever, and you feel like crying out to God, why'd you let this happen? Don't expect more than, where were you when I... On the other hand, you might just pause a little. Remember that God is in control and knew this was going to happen. And then breathe, oh Lord, save me. And follow that up by doing whatever you think is the right thing to say or do. You see, God knew you'd be in that circumstance. He knew you would be weak or strong. Can you imagine Jesus smiling at you? He wants you to know that you're covered. Covered for what you might not get right. For what harm you might even inadvertently do. And even for any intentional sinning, you might commit in the intensity of the moment. Because of the grace of God, the word is near you, is not a judgment against you, if you don't happen to use it at that moment. Rather, it is the gracious promise of God, the word is near you, wherever you are, in whatever circumstance. In fact, the capital W word, the word who became flesh, is near you. So in this moments when you let the faith given to you reach up to Jesus' hand coming down to help you, to get you above the water or stay there, whatever, then whether you seem to have passed or failed this teachable moment, there's reason for joy. You can give God the thanks and glory for whatever went right and ask his forgiveness for whatever went wrong. Assured, you will receive it. You can be confident you are forgiven, just as Peter was lifted up in the boat, because the word is near you. Indeed, the word is near you, always. His name is Jesus, in his name. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.